ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, this is Ryan Grimm, a reporter for The Intercept and the host of the Deconstructed podcast. With the midterm elections around the corner, there are so many fascinating races that tell us so much about where our politics is heading, but cable news just doesn't have the time or the inclination to get into them. Check out our recent episode about Matt Cartwright, a progressive populist Democrat, trying to hold on to a seat in a Northeast Pennsylvania district that voted for Trump twice. He definitely is running his own campaign. So the fact that he's really pushing ads and messages on economic issues, on entitlements, he knows his district and and he's working it. And to be honest, I think Democrats would be a lot more successful this cycle if they pushed those issues. Check out Deconstructed from The Intercept, wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Welcome to Two Women Chatting with Liz and Michelle. Enjoying life in our 50s, we're also empty nesters. Looking to reinvent, reset, have fun, and talk about topics with experts and friends that affect us, our kids, and our families. So grab a cuppa and join us on the sofa for a chat. There's always room for one more. We're not tech savvy, but we do our best. But it's a learning curve. All bumps, clicks, and noises are our own. Come on in and have a seat. So there's three of us here so far, you, well, me, me and Maisie. And Maisie. <laughs> I think Maisie should be an honorary podcaster. I think she should. She should even have her own microphone, maybe a bit like Anthea's Soho. True. Also, I think she should have her own Instagram account. <gasps> That's a really good idea. Yeah, because who doesn't want to follow a blind, toothless, <laughs> oh, dentally challenged, Maisie. Oh. deaf dog? <laughs> oh, she's deaf. That's right. That's my poor yeah. thing. Oh. Yeah. Oh. So... Well, this is an interesting one, isn't it? I think. Well, I say that about every episode, to be honest. But I think from a personal point of view, this really... Like, it resonates. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite personal to, to, to my family, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well to, to backtrack, to what we're talking about today is um, ADHD and executive functioning. And I'd say there's probably a bit of a stigma still around some of those areas. I think there is, and it's also I don't think people really understand what it is. I think I think it's well, I don't. Well, I didn't till recently. I'm looking forward to hearing um, Victoria talk about. Yeah, so we've got um, a guest with us today called Victoria Bagnall. She is the uh, co-founder and managing director of Connections in Mind, and they work with all kinds of neurodiverse disorders. But in particular, we wanted to talk to her today about executive functioning and ADHD. I don't know about you, but until maybe oh, maybe eighteen months ago, I didn't. I'd never heard of what executive functioning disorder was. Have you? No. No. Do you know now? Well. I have because I've been reading up on it, but no, it's it's quite scary that I didn't know what it meant. It's quite scary that I think and, and I probably I, got it. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> it, well, no, but it highlights certain attributes. Is that a nice way of putting it in people? Yeah, but what is interesting, and I think you found this a bit more than, than I did, because I was looking from a personal and f- family um, point of view, but there's a lot of positives as well. If you can channel 
um, your, let's call it a skill set. Yeah. It's not just a negative thing. Oh, God, quite the opposite. It's mm. just understanding perhaps of some of your limitations or skills and, mm. and use them. You need strategies, that's for sure. Yeah. You but no, that's to, one thing. That it's really, the workarounds, but also recognizing, you know, when somebody is suffering from not suffering, no, I mean, somebody I, has it. I think it's right? manage it's managing, but I think I hate to say that it, people do suffer because people don't understand. So people around you do not realize why you may do something oh, or not do it for sure, for sure. Which we won't go into about yours <laughs> this time. But no, it's a serious subject. But I think we've got to also. Uh, Discuss. It's the positives. It really is. It shouldn't just be the negatives. But also, I think, and we'll get on to this a little bit with Victoria, but what really interests me as a woman in her 50s now, and I've never been diagnosed with it, and I don't know whether I do have it or not, but what about, you know, all of us in midlife who have have managed to get through life, uh, I don't know, just got through it? Oops, I left my phone on. Sorry. Well, how's your um, juicing diet going? Oh, yeah. So, yeah, no, I did the juicing diet. and You didn't cheat? I didn't cheat for two and two-third days. <laughs> Is that actually a proper two and two-third days? Yeah. Until the evening, you mean? No, no. So, yeah, the evening of Saturday, and I was by myself because James was away, and um, this is why I thought well, I can I can definitely do three days of this juicing and um, I can really commit to it. I did. I promise I absolutely did. I exercised. I drank everything. I did all the things I'm supposed to do. And then <laughs> by the time I got Saturday night. So you did two, three, you thought three days, not say three nights. Oh, no, three days, <laughs> yeah. three days. And then I got to my very last green juice, which was kale, spinach, celery ginger yeah. mm, really healthy stuff and i did put a slug of vodka in it <gasps> you're kidding <laughs> oh brilliant oh it doesn't taste it's got no calories it's got hardly yeah. any calories and it did make me chug that last one and keep <laughs> do you put an ice cube in it no on the rocks <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. a little juiced cocktail oh. no so i did and i lost five and a half pounds by sunday morning so result i yeah, think that yeah. was definitely a result so and it was enjoyable yeah, I, I may not be in bikini territory yet. Oh, who is? But I could wear a swimsuit next week, I think, without, <laughs> I don't know, going oh, undercover or yeah. something. <laughs> I'll, I'll go out at midnight now. I'll yeah, about yeah I'll be swimming <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> no, so I, I was really pleased and I did feel good for it. And I didn't actually feel terribly hungry. I had a, a, an almond or two if I needed to. I just say an arm. <laughs> yeah. I did eat my own arm during the exercise, but no, I did eat a few almonds just so I could have the sense of chewing again, yeah, make sure my teeth hadn't well, retired. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That was good. Oh, so right. Yes. Subject. Probably oh, we should get back to it. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it's quite when the subject matter is. Subject matter is. Going off on a tangent. Yes, exactly. I was, was going to tell you a story, but I've forgotten it. <laughs> This is probably a good time for Victoria to yeah, join us. Yeah. So a warm welcome to Victoria Bagnall and her dog. Sorry. <laughs> is that your dog yeah, it is my dog in the background. They never normally bark. Apologies. That's okay. We love dogs on this program, don't we? Because we've got Maisie, we've had Soho, Anthea Turner's dog. We might actually make it a, a guest feature. Yes, yeah. You can only come on if you've got a dog. Yeah, yeah, that's a good idea. 
But anyway, so Victoria is the co-founder and managing director of Connections in Mind and is an expert in the field of executive functioning, which we'll talk about in a minute if you don't know what that is. And uh, you've committed... <laughs> Nat's whining. <laughs> and you've committed your shall life to your soul I, work of raising I, Sorry, shall I go and get, no, lock no, her up? No, Are you no. sure? Oh, no, she's welcome. It's fine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so you've, you've worked really hard to raise awareness about critical brain functions and how genetics and trauma can influence their development. And um, you're committed to creating a new social system in which everyone feels m- nurtured, supported and valued so they can flourish. Sounds like a really good idea. So we wanted to talk to you today about executive functioning and ADHD. Uh, we both have sort of some personal experience of this, but also how it relates to women of, of midlife, say, you know, because we are we're basically the misgeneration, aren't we? We 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 weren't around when people started talking about these neurodiverse disorders. So we've sort of skipped it all and just hobbled around, managed our lives, and and sort of got on with it. Um, so there's a couple of of honestly, I'm just really interested in hearing what you have to say about it, <laughs> and I'm I'm interested in sharing it too. So yeah. <laughs> So what does it mean when you say you're when someone's neurodiverse? What's that mean exactly? Yeah, so this is a term that gets that's used quite regularly now and and it means a lot of different things to lots of different people, but I think from the, my perspective basically what it means is that all brains are different um, and that some have certain differences that make us kind of stand out a bit more in society we're a bit less kind of it, we're a bit more atypical maybe than your normal person I use that in inverted commas um, but when we're neurodiverse our brains work a little bit differently to other people it doesn't mean that they're wrong that there's kind of any deficit or there's a disorder in them which is a lot of the terminology that used to be used around these challenges but actually that we're just a little bit different and things work a little bit differently in our brains than they might do for other people but what's interesting is I think is that when one has an executive function approach and we'll get onto that in a minute it's about understanding it's all part of being a human being and that just because we're neurodiverse doesn't mean we're any less human than everyone else it's just part of being part of the human race and and just like there's all sorts of different hair colors and eye colors and skin colors there's all sorts of different brains that we have as well so What's the difference then between executive functioning mm-hmm. and ADHD, or are they just completely different? No, it's completely the same. So executive functions are the brain processes. So what goes on in your brain that that causes the traits of ADHD that we see? And, and so there is a very well-known professor, Professor Russell Barkley, if anyone wants to look up his work, and he has dedicated his life to researching ADHD. And he has written numerous papers that say, that for him, executive function disorder, and they call it disorder in the literature, which I hate, but anyway, that's what they call it. Executive function disorder and ADHD are interchangeable terms, that the um, executive functioning is what's going on when we struggle with our with our ADHD traits. The things that we find difficult when we have ADHD, like paying attention, organizing our belongings, managing our emotions, um, starting tasks, managing our time, all of that is to do with our executive functioning. It's all housed in our prefrontal cortex, which is the part of our brain behind our forehead. Now, 
before 20 years ago, we didn't know what part of the brain was responsible for these traits because we weren't able to look inside of the, you know, someone's living brain and see what was going on. But it's been the advent of fMRI scanners that have been able to look at the brain while we're doing these tasks and while you know, people with ADHD or dyslexia or autism are underneath this, um, these scanners and be able to see what's going on for them. And we can clearly see, map that the executive functions um, are not as connected sometimes as they are in neurotypical brains. Now, that doesn't mean they're any better or worse. <laughs> it just means that they're different. But that part of the brain maybe isn't working kind of optimally. And that can be because of um, um, genetics. Um, because we have family history of these things, or it can be because of trauma. And I can get on to talking more about the trauma piece if that's interesting for you guys uh, in a bit. But there's been a lot of very recent research about the effect of trauma on our executive functioning and the effect of um, a lot of the symptoms of PTSD kind of co-occur with the ADHD symptoms. That's not saying that ADHD is caused by trauma. It's not what I'm saying at all, but often you can experience similar kind of symptoms or traits if you have experienced trauma in the past as well. So there's a lot of complexity there. So can it be, so are you saying you're born with it or could it be triggered? So for example, midlife women going through the menopause and our hormones are racing all over the place. Can it magnify the symptoms that we may have had all of our lives and we didn't realize? And when we're experiencing brain fog or, or reaching for words, as, as we talked about before we started recording, I'm terrible and Liz is... I'm getting better. All right, Liz not is so... I'm speaking at all of them. Liz is really good now. <laughs> anyway. I'm not, I'm not saying anything, that's why. <laughs> no, but could, could it be then that menopause puts a spotlight on some of these um, symptoms. Mm, absolutely. And so um, I think we, we found out a bit other when I was, um, I was talking about women and ADHD and how actually what we know from the research now, the most recent research, is that um, the estrogen levels impact our executive functioning and our dopamine levels within our brain so when we have high estrogen levels so that's ovulation in our in our cycle um, or when we're younger we have these high estrogen levels then that's kind of helping keeping our brains you know our executive functions doing the work that they need to do but when our estrogen levels drop then that can have an impact on our ability to use our executive functions and the dopamine within our brain too so it's very interesting that at the onset of menopause that a lot of people are reporting these symptoms are kind of getting all these traits are getting worse. And I use that again in inverted commas, but these things are getting more challenging for them, I think is, is the best way of putting it. And so, yes, so the, the trauma piece is all mixed up in there as well. So we mustn't forget that if you struggle with these things like punctuality and um, uh, organizing thoughts in your head and organizing your belongings and so on and so forth, the, the feedback that you'll be getting from society for the whole of your life will be that you're not good enough, that other people find these things easy, that if you're so intelligent, why can't you just do this stuff? You know, all this kind of really unhelpful comments that don't actually help you to develop these skills. Um, and, and, you know, we might get detentions at school or, you know, if it gets escalated, it might be suspended from school and so on and so forth. So there's there's a lot of uh, societal and systemic bias around these challenges in these areas that make them seem as if they're character traits and it's to do with your personality, but that's absolutely not true. It's not to do with your personality at all. It's to do with the way that your brain is, is wired and your executive functioning. And what's really interesting is the more stressed 
tired and if we haven't eaten well and if we haven't connected with the people we care for and the people that we love and, and make us feel supported, then our executive functions work less as well. So they're, they're less able to do the work that they need to do. Yes. So when we're, you know, living a stressful life and then we're getting all this feedback from outside saying, oh, you're late for this appointment, you know, you're clearly a bad person. That, that spiral of executive functioning goes down and down and down. And so the, the, the best remedy for, for having struggles with our executive function is wonderful, ladies. It is that we have to look after ourselves better, which involves doing things like yoga, having massages and connecting with our friends. And that is the best remedy for these things. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> That's what we've been talking about, uh, you know, it is. It's it, connecting with people is the most important thing. I think that's where the problem with lockdown has caused so many issues and probably highlighted um, it a lot more. Mm. Absolutely. Do you know? I had not heard of executive functioning. No. Disorder. I think it's a much better terminology, though. Yeah, I do. Well, my, a friend of mine. I was. I came back from the states, having visited my daughter out there, um, and Flissy is a street smart, um, clever girl. But she is such a typical, you know, when she was a kid, she lost every piece of uniform, never got her homework in, um, missed appointments, got worse when she moved out of home and went to university and had to struggle on her own. And it really made our relationship quite fraught. And all it was was criticism on our part, nagging constantly. We never got off a phone call feeling great. We just felt like horrible, mean parents Mm -hmm. that were constantly nagging her. And I don't know if you realize this, but the reason I contacted you was because Felicity chatted to um, your colleague, Dr. Soracha Cashman, Mm -hmm. and she was diagnosed with um, executive functioning Mm -hmm. disorder. But what a light bulb moment that was for us as a family, both I felt relieved. I think she felt incredibly relieved Mm. that she could sort of label herself and realize, as you said, it's not a fault. It's not not a weakness. It's just a a way your brain works. But the back, back of that, the flip side of that is, gosh, I felt so guilty. So guilty as a parent for the way that I have handled her through school and um, the first few years of her being away in university I feel like a rubbish parent you mustn't you mustn't and we get this all the time from parents and you mustn't this is brand new neuroscience that we have we're finding out now it's just not been around our society is set up the way it is because of years and years and years of things that are embedded and the fact that we are now beginning to understand it is so wonderful but there's no way that we can go back in time and change what has happened we are we are part of the societies in which we've grown up at. All we can do now is work for a better future where people who are born with executive function challenges feel loved and supported from the day go because then these this spiral of, of weak executive functioning getting worse and worse won't c- perpetuate. And so I'm calling as part of our work for um, a real revolution in the way that schools are put together to have these relational approaches to behavior management because a lot of this is like minor behavior misdemeanors you know handing in work late 
not meeting deadlines, being late for school, not having your school tie on, chewing gum in class, you know, all that kind of stuff is all to do with your executive functions. The research clearly shows that punishing them, so giving someone a detention doesn't suddenly allow them to develop the skill of being able to turn up on time, uh, funnily enough. It just makes them feel a lot of shame. So I want to try and help develop uh, schools throughout the UK and throughout the world that have this relational approach and a lot of schools are doing it especially those that work with kids with special educational needs and the pupil referral units and alternate provisions the ones that are working with the really vulnerable children who have experienced that trauma when they were little and really need that support but imagine an environment where you go into in school where you feel no matter what your executive function challenges you feel it's just another part of your learning journey and just the same as if you struggle with being on time for things, you are just given more support to develop that skill rather than given a detention and made to feel like you're an outsider um, because you haven't got that ability to do that yet. Yeah, that's where the um, teachers have to be educated. I mean, my daughter, I mean, you were saying about Fliss, it wasn't, wasn't recognised till later. My daughter is severely dyslexic, so it was picked up early, but they still like to pigeonhole them and put them into a, you know, so therefore she struggles on that without even looking at anything else, saying, because she's dyslexic, she can't do this, this and this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's got to go, it's got to start at, at primary school. Mm-hmm. Well, there's still a lot of stigma as well, isn't there? Of- you know, you think if your kid is diagnosed with ADHD, as you said, they'll, yeah. like they'll be jumping off sofas, they'll be on mm-hmm. Ritalin, they'll be on meds, yeah. they'll lose weight because they're on this, you know. But it's not, it's a mental, there's the physical and the mental side. Yeah. And I think that's where, I didn't I didn't realise that. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I really didn't. I, no. I yeah, we, we, I won't go into great details about it, but it's it's frightening. But I think, I'm, I'm going to be honest, the schools that my daughter went to did not help. Mm. And she actually went on, I'm not going to talk about it, but went on to university and has, has tried to now, you know, explain mm. what's going on. Yeah. So it's never too late then, is it? No. You know, bringing it back to midlife or even in your 20s, and I think – you know, a lot of this does come out in the wash, doesn't it? When you move away from home and you're struck, you're dealing with job or or college or or something. You can manage all the time yeah. you're at home because you, generally there might be a parent who's going to pick you up a bit and, and guide you. Structure the minute exactly. you leave home, that's when it all because they can't multitask. Mm, but also when you become a mother, right? And I think this is really important. You know, the society. You know, ancient cultures had, you know, you're raised by the village, right? You had mum and you had auntie and you had the, you know, other members of the village around to help with everything about being a mother. But now you're just left on your own with this baby and, and not given, there's no instruction manual. And maybe mum comes, you know, once or twice a week to help out or whatever it is if you're lucky. But actually, you know, if you've got executive function challenges, managing having a baby on top of everything else is just so huge. And, and this is when the wheels can really come off for a lot of women because, you know, again, you know, your hormones are all over the place because of, you know, as we know, when you have a baby, everything's up in the air. And, and so there's just so much around this, this area, but also, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of medical professionals don't aren't tuned in to the fact that you know there is just as much ADHD or executive function challenges within women as there are within men but just men manifest it more when they're younger because it's more socially acceptable for for boys to run around all the time and then they get a diagnosis whereas with girls they're much more attuned at masking because they are conditioned to be the good girl to you know to do everything to be have the neat book and, and you know all that kind of thing and so there is there's all this masking that goes on so there's just so much about this so we find a lot of women getting you know into that kind of motherhood stage 
they really struggle. And then, you know, when the kids are moving on to school and they're managing their careers, and there's just so much about all the juggle that we have to do that is just so demanding our executive functions. And this period we've just lived through with the the COVID and everything changing all the time, you can't plan a thing, has been just this, that's why we've all got brain fog at the moment. That's why we've got this now is because it's just too much for our brains to handle whilst we're also super stressed um, because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> so here's another question. As, as you've been talking, I've been thinking, gosh, how lucky is our family that we were able to come to you and pay for a consultant and to to, to chat about this. Um, you know, on the NHS in this country, it takes a while to, it, they're, they're so overloaded because probably the pandemic has accelerated and um, just added to the workload of, of practitioners and so on. It's not really fair, is it, that people who have you know, perhaps a middle class background and upwards might be able to get diagnoses for their kids or their young adults. And then, you know, others who are not in such a fortunate place, where do they go? What do they do? I, I had this conversation with someone and they, they said, well, it's not life threatening. Oh, I went, but it is. So it is. is because you don't realize that, you know, that, that somebody could take their own life. Exactly. It's not, you know, it's not like you've got cancer. I mean, it's not like cancer or you've broken your arm or something, but it, mm. but it, but it is the same effect on, you know, it is. my niece has just been diagnosed. That's how mm. I'm very, very conscious. She mm. lives in the Netherlands now and um, she won't mind me talking about it. She's really struggled mm. and she just cannot finish a particular project at university. Yeah. And that's when they've discovered that's what the problem is. Yeah. It's like you said earlier that, um, uh, Victoria, it's like you said earlier that, um, you know, these these kids, when they're younger, they're labelled as messy, disorganised, uh, cannot be relied mm-hmm. on. And of course, that's going to feed yes. into their ego and their confidence. You know, how how do they deal with that in their lives? That they're, they've basically, from a young age, just been the naughty kid mm-hmm. or the disorganised kid or, you know, the one who's not going to be as successful. It's mm. a rough label, isn't it? It's horrible. And, and you know, middle class kids get that. And kids that are on the low end of the income spectrum get you're going to be in prison. And that's what they get. And that's really, really tough. And that's where they end up. I'm not exactly sure what the figures are, but a disproportionate number of people in the criminal justice system have neurodiverse traits. And uh, yeah, it's huge. It's absolutely huge. And that's because our system is set up to penalise people who have executive function challenges. But the main injustice of this is that if you have grown up um, in a traumatic environment, and that can be um, having, you know, abusive, psychological abuse, physical abuse, all sorts of things, which which tends to happen not, not not so much in your middle class families. It does tend to happen at the lower economic end of the spectrum, but of course can happen across all facets of society. But if you are already born into that, for no fault of your own, born into that kind of um, that socioeconomic status, you're much more likely to end up in the criminal justice system because of um, the trauma that you face. Nothing that you have done. There's no choice in the matter. And, and it's just so unfair. And I do believe if that people could just understand that these children, what they need more than anything is a feeling of love and support and belonging somewhere within their upbringing and that no amount of punishment is going to help them get there in fact it's going to make it worse and and what we're doing is setting these children up from the moment they're born 
for failure. Um, and those middle class children who have the loving, supporting families, but are still going into the school system and being told all of this, they're also having a really difficult time. And we get numerous children coming to us and young adults coming to us who have suicidal ideation. And it's all around their belief that they are not good enough because they struggle with their executive functions. And that's because they've been told that by society for their entire lives. And that's just not good enough. We need to do better for these young people. We have a mental health crisis in this country. And it stems from having a culture and society that values strong executive functions, but doesn't invest in developing them in, in young people. Um, so let's look at the more positive side of that. So, so seriously, if executive function, would you say a lot of creative people have that? Right. So there is, there, there's nuggets of really great stuff in there. And it's, it's I guess, channeling that and rewarding that aspect of their behavior. Then we could have, you know, some inventors and creators. Well, you do, you do. And, I mean, a lot of famous sports people are you know they, they you know whatever you like to call it now but it's it, it was adhd or add or it keeps changing yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah there's, there's a lot what well, didn't know, you Michael find Jordan. in your research, research about you know like a leader in a sales force or something yeah and i had the same example in business that i used to run i had a fantastic salesperson and we promoted him and he did amazing but he he did need his handheld mm. but you know we we, we reward you know we, we rewarded well financially but yeah. also he needed to just be told he was doing yeah. well and he felt, um, you know, if, if you didn't, then he was worried that he'd done something wrong. The anxiety and, you know, piece is huge. Yeah, it wasn't hand-helding, but it was... Well, it, it can be. It, it can be. And that's because when our metacognition, which is our self-awareness, is an executive function too. So if our executive functions are not um, working optimally because either of genetics or because of trauma or because we haven't slept well or because of all so many factors that need to be right for our executive functions to work well then metacognition is one of those. And so if he struggled with his metacognition, he's constantly looking for external reinforcement that he is doing well. And it happens a lot with the best people because they are so creative. Their brains are all over the place. They're thinking of all these innovative ideas and so on and so forth. But they do need that. (laughs) Sorry, I'm laughing because we talked about this in a previous podcast that's coming up, actually. Liz and I have different strengths. We both get to the same place. And I only have two speeds. And um, one is warp speed, and one is so slow I'll fall over myself. Binary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think, Felicity, I know you'll be listening to this. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. <laughs> doesn't. Exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people come to us because, you know, they see these traits in their children and they think, oh, hang on, that was me. Is there something that I could yeah, work on? Like my, my sister's done the same with her, with her daughter now. She's recognized, gosh, I used to daydream all the time as a child. But that's exactly it, yeah. isn't it? We are that generation or and, and above us too, the ages above us. We missed all that diagnosis. So would you recommend even in our 50s and midlife, do you still recommend trying to get, um, you know, what can I call it? Just going to somebody and talking I guess it's to being, them. Do you call it being diagnosed? Yeah, that, so I think a diagnosis can help. It really depends what you're wanting to do with the diagnosis that is, is important as to whether you, you get it or not. You can self-diagnose if you're not planning on getting medication. You can just say, I identify as ADHD or autistic or 
dyslexic or whatever it is um, and that should be f- enough for an employer if, th- if that's what you're trying to do with it if you want to get a formal diagnosis um, for medication for ADHD then you obviously have to go to a psychiatrist who's a, a prescriber or a nurse practitioner for that matter who's a prescriber to get that medication um, but what we found is, is the most supportive and what we've got this lovely community of mostly women there's some men as well um, in our community as well called the connected club it's a group of people who have executive function challenges who meet once a week on a Thursday with Dr. Suresha Catchman. And um, they meet up and they just chat through their challenges and talk about what's going on. There's something so wonderful about sharing and knowing that you're not alone. Um, and also that builds that connection, which is what we know we need in order to, for our executive functions to work optimally. Um, we do also offer strategy sessions and we have these little micro kind of modules of six minutes, um, six to 12 minutes. Um, so you can learn about your brain and about the neuroscience. And we really break it down so it's really digestible. Um, and we run masterclasses and, and webinars and things that people can join as well. So we've created this little online community of people and, and that's can be just as helpful as coaching. One-to-one coaching that we offer as well is really, really helpful for people who are specifically working on a, on a goal. Maybe they've got a project they're working on. Maybe they're looking to transition in their career. Maybe they're just trying to stay in their job. If they're working on that, that, that can be really helpful. But in terms of like long-term support, being part of our Connected Club has been literally life-changing for so many of the women and men in our community um because they've just got their people you know people that get it and a tribe mm, mm. yeah what's that what's the website address um, for that? so it's on our um cimlearning.com uh website the connected club and so you can look up look that up um or if anyone wants is that free or do you so there is a free membership um absolutely um and we also do have a paid for membership obviously we have to cover the costs of the practitioners running these sessions and so on and so forth um and that's 25 pounds a month um for the paid for membership but also if anyone because we're committed for making sure equal access for access for everyone for every paid for membership that gets purchased we offer a free one to someone who can't afford it. So it's a buy one, get one free, a bit like Tom's shoes. You know, you buy one and then we'll give one to someone who really needs it. Yeah, Yeah. I like that. So just to round this up, what would be your piece of advice that you would give anybody listening to this show and who thinks either they or their kids or their husband or, you know, somebody close to them might have it? What's positive positive bit of advice that you might say to them as to how to handle them or what to do Mm, I think the most positive thing and and the thing that has really kind of reassured me throughout all the research that I've been doing in this is that the key to strong developing strong executive functions is connection and that comes from empathy and so the best thing that we can do is to learn how to empathize properly with the people that we care for Um, and that is not about being simply oh poor you you know you struggle with this that's not kind of looking down on people it's about getting in the emotional pit with people who are struggling with these things and feeling what it feels like with them so just really understanding it from their perspective so if you can do that that could build that connection, help them feel that they belong and that they understood, and that can help their executive functions to come back online. So, so it's it's free, <laughs> but we just need to learn the skill of doing it. And um, yeah, that can be the most powerful thing. And, and the other thing, like I mentioned earlier, is that you know it's all about the the well being piece as well. So, 
you know, making sure you're doing exercise, making sure you're eating a healthy diet, making sure you're getting enough sleep, uh, making sure that you are doing things that you find joyful. Um, so mindfulness, yoga, playing sports, going for a walk in nature, all of those things that have been, you know, everyone's been, oh, it's a bit woo woo. It's absolutely founded in neuroscience. This does really help and will help make you more productive and more able to engage in your life. So there's lots of wonderful positive things we can do. And they're, and they're good as well. Who doesn't want to go for a massage or go for a meet up with your friends for a coffee? You know, it's worth investing in ourselves and our executive functions. Fantastic. That's lovely to hear. Yeah. Thank you so much, Victoria. That's just been eye opening, really. And uh, gosh, I'm just really glad we got an opportunity to, to talk with you. Thank you for being so helpful and open and giving us great advice. That's my pleasure. And I think, you know, together, the more people that learn about this, that we can change the world and we can make sure that future generations are supported and feel that they belong uh, so that they can flourish and be the best that they can be. That was really, really interesting. But, you know, you would say you're not a bad parent, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. No, seriously, you're not. It's, I felt it's... really quite emotional, actually, during that when I thought... That ugh, I can't tell you how, when I can stand back now and look at the way that Felicity was criticised and mm. sort of labelled by all of us, kind of laughingly, like, oh, Felicity won't turn up to Zoom or, you know, where's Fli anybody yeah. heard from Felicity? Yeah. And now I look at her and I think how incredibly resilient she has turned out to be. And I'm really proud that despite having an executive functioning disorder, she's been really successful and she has managed she's found ways to, to cope well she's lived away from us now for five years since she went to university in the states how the heck did she manage that i mean my wake-up moment was when i literally opened her glove box in her car and there was probably 30 unpaid bills in there not even <laughs> kidding but they just don't remember it's not that she's just put no. it away on the side i have the same with my daughters you know emma she she's got much better because they find ways to to function to, to get around it or to cope. Yeah, coping to co strategies. Coping, but there's only so much they can do. And so some of yeah. it, that's not priority to her paying a bill. Her paying a, a priority is to just exist, to, to get but on with also, life. also when there's 10 bills, then it's overwhelming. Like, yeah. why would I even start? There's too much here to deal with. And maybe there's a little <laughs> of that in me. I'm not going to lie. It's kind of scary but to recognise that. But then, then you can speak to Fliss and say, you know, that's perhaps where yeah. where some of it's coming from. Yeah, honestly, Felicity, when you listen to this, because I will make you listen to this, because I need the download stats. But also, <laughs> I don't actually. We don't. We're doing really well. We're doing on very well. Yeah. But I am so proud of you for what you've done and what you've achieved, and what I know that she's going to be successful in. Yeah. So, so and so, yeah. isn't it funny how it's a lot of creative people? Because Emma's really creative. Yeah, very. But it's, Felicity's yeah. Felicity's mm. our creative one. I would say possibly I'm a little bit creative. Oh, very creative. <laughs> like and, and technical as well. Yeah. No, I'm rubbish. I'm not technical. No, but you find a way around it. That's what's incredible because, and that's what Emma does, she'll find a solution to something which I wouldn't bother with. I'd be like, because she has, she's learned to do that. She now, she didn't used to, but she's found a way of doing things. I think mm. the same with you. You, you. I mean, I wouldn't know where to start with, with half this technical stuff. You do it. You find it. Yeah, but I'm. It, it's somewhat exhausting because... You know me, I'm like full on. That's what I mean, you're focused on something. You focus, then on. then you just drop off, yeah. so to speak. And then <laughs> not there. 
And that whole validation thing that you were saying about, I, if I don't get people, and it's really pathetic, it's like the, it's the actor ego in me, I always assumed. Like if I don't get people saying, oh, you did really great. That was a great podcast or love what yeah. you did just then. Then I feel like, what's the point? And I get, yeah. I get all sort of mardy and I don't do anything. Yeah. No, but it, it, doing a podcast, the fact we're actually doing a podcast for start is amazing, I think. And we keep going with it and we're enjoying it and it's going to be incredibly successful. I love it. And what I really love about doing this is all the different subject areas we're dipping into. We're looking at health and well-being and, and mental health yeah. and like genuinely as well yeah genuinely mm. it's it's what interests the two of us and what really affects our kids our families our friends that kind of thing and it's it's been i mean we're not at the end of the season yet we've still got some great guests still coming on mm. with with subjects that like and, and we can yeah we keep thinking of them as we come across them and we come across problems sometimes in yeah. our lives on the rare occasion that we do have a dinner party yeah because we're still getting back into the swing of things but I feel like I've got more to talk about, actually. Do you know, that's true, actually. Because <laughs> I'm quite intellectual sometimes and as well. I'm not always talking about my kids. That, mm. As, as and you've got, proud yeah, as I am know. of all three of them, I've got, you know, I can say, hey, did you know such and such? Or have you ever thought about so and so? And I, I feel like it's adding a bit of depth to me, yeah. perhaps. It's expanding our horizons. Do mm. I say that right now? Expanding our horizons. You told me you were better in you. <laughs> and your brain's gone now again. And Liz has got a new mic. <laughs> I'm not using it. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> no, you were using it earlier, but she I has got it. a new mic. It's a because... nice shiny mic. Oh, yeah. yes. That last mm. podcast was a little, um, I mean, great, great subject matter with Anthea, that's for sure. But And I, I, I love talking to her, but um, I don't do it deliberately. I just want you to know, people, I don't just turn me up high and list down low. <laughs> yeah, that's what she says. In fact, I'm talking all the time, but I just can't get a word in yeah, edgeways. Like, I just put her on mute, to be honest. <laughs> anyway, that's that all note, from us. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. So goodbye, goodbye and thanks for listening. See you next time. Actually, um, hold that thought. Late arrival from my daughter, Flizzy. I wanted to share this with you because I... I contacted Flissy to let her know that I'd mentioned her on the podcast. I felt that was the very least I could do, really. And she offered her thoughts on how ADHD has affected her and just generally how she felt about it. So just going to leave you with this note to finish on. I have to say, I was really proud of her for doing this, and I hope maybe it helps somebody. This is for anyone who has adult or child ADHD, for that matter. I hope you know that you are not alone. ADHD is something I've dealt with my whole life, and it's manifested itself into different way, uh, different ways throughout different seasons. It's hard, then it's not. It's confusing, and it's simple at the same time. And it's a constant changing battle of learning tools and how you apply them and understanding that there's nothing wrong with you, but you do need patience with yourself. I definitely felt slower or wondered why everyone else understood the instructions given on the first go or wondered why I could never remember a to-do list or left the house with one sock on in a frantic hurry or even emotional regulation and understanding that sometimes the reaction I want to give isn't the best one. It's just what my brain feeds me, sometimes unfairly. I am not embarrassed or ashamed to deal with this on a daily basis. It's frustrating beyond belief, yes, but I only get frustrated with my own brain for sometimes feeling like it's it gave me a setback or it's working against myself. The main thing to remember is there is nothing wrong with you. You are wired differently, yes, but different isn't bad. 
It just takes a little bit of extra love and care to figure out what works best for you. I also want to note that I've never ever felt pushed down or unsupported by friends or family. I'm sure family members of people like me who deal with this and other issues similar feel guilt for not knowing or not understanding what their family member's going through. I feel zero resentment, as I didn't even know what was going on with me. I still do sometimes, but if I don't even understand my own brain, how could I expect someone else to? It's a tricky thing, feeling like your mind has it out for you, where it feels like that should be the one thing you can always rely on. But lean into that season of confusion, or navigating what works for you, and know that what works for you might not work for someone else. But know that so many people, including myself, deal with this, and it's so thankfully more normalized now, and there are so many resources and books and ways to understand uh, the brain. Uh, I'm a work in progress, and I hope I can one day be in a place where I have all of the right tips and tricks to, and things to say on dealing with it. But until then, I'm taking it one day at a time, and I hope you do too. Thanks for listening to Two Women Chatting with our special guests. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you left a rating and review. Even better, share with your friends. And please get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. There's a link on our Instagram bio and Facebook pages. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. These days, we're confronted with an overwhelming and seemingly endless array of devastating news. With the midterm elections right around the corner and the future of America ever uncertain, it's time for you to join me, John Arola, on my show, The Damage Report, which will be your life raft, helping you not only navigate the headlines, but truly understand the damage caused by the corrupt establishment, politicians, corporations, and everything in between. Don't just take my word for it. Join in on the fun of the Dragon Squad, where you can become part of our wholesome and amazing community. Create your very own dragon nickname that fits your unique personality and collaborate with fellow progressives in a variety of fun and exciting ways. Listen to The Damage Report on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Acast.com.